Last week we kicked off this message series called It's Complicated about dating and sexuality. So this is part two. Uh, so if you missed last week's, you can go on our website and you can hear it. And then I'm going to take like the next 30 seconds and just catch you up on what we kind of talked about last week. But we focused a little bit more, if you're in this dating arena, we focused on the idea that dating is pretty complicated. And that if you follow dating the way that our culture teaches dating, the way that the world teaches dating, it's kind of like a yellow brick road that's leading you to something that's going to disappoint you. So it, God has a different plan, and we talked about that plan, and what I challenged everyone to do last week was that if you're, if you're dating, that you would trust and follow God and make five different commitments, and I think we're going to put those on the screen. We talked about these in detail last week, that you would trust and follow God's plan on who you are, who you'll see, where you'll look, what you'll do, and who you'll accept. And I also challenge you that instead of searching or trying to find the right person, that you would become the right person that God wants you to be. And I challenged you with this question and asked everyone here, are you the person that the person that you're looking for is looking for? So taking the emphasis off of trying to find this right person and, and really become the person that God wants you to be. That's what we talked about last week. Now, last week I also told you that today we were going to talk about sexuality. So uh, that's how come the room is more full, because everyone wants to come and hear uh, the pastor talk about sexuality. So whenever we talk about sex in the church, it's always a little more quiet than normal. Um, it's always a little more awkward than normal. And I am going to try to be as open and as honest to you as I can. So I'm going to start off by telling you a couple of ways that I think the church has screwed up sexuality no pun intended. Well, maybe a pun intended. Okay, but we'll just, uh, anyway, whatever it is. Uh, two, two ways that the church is kind of uh, messed up. We'll use that word, messed up. I believe that the church has failed to address the topic of sex. The Bible talks a lot about sex. It's in the Bible. It's in there. It's not even hard to find. You can find a whole lot about it. But the church has been relatively silent about sexuality. And it's kind of like when it comes up, the church is kind of like, la, 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 and sex, la, 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 like we, like pretend, we just, we just pretend that it's not there, we pretend that it goes away, we don't want to really talk about it, but the world that you and I live in, as soon as we go outside these doors, we go back to school, we go back to work, we go to our neighborhoods, we turn on our televisions, we go to the movies, we get on the internet, the world is talking about sex all the time. They're celebrating it. They're showing it. They're making movies about it. They're singing about it. It's all out there. And so in some way, I feel like the church has done a disservice because we've not really been open and honest about it. The second thing that I think the church has messed up on when it comes to sexuality is that we've kind of suggested to teenagers or to young adults that sex is bad. Like some way that that's the message that kind of comes across. It's not so much what's said, but sometimes what is not said. The church sometimes has said, you don't want to do that. It's bad. You're still young. You need to save yourself. Don't have sex. It's evil. And then after you get married, it's like, well, okay now. It's, it's, a, it's okay now. Like, shh, just don't, don't tell anybody. Don't really talk about it. But it's, it's, it's all right. But this message of negativity and then all of a sudden... It, 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 then we, we try to make it positive, and I think the church is kind of messed up in that way. One of my favorite pastors is a guy named Perry Noble, and he's at a church in South Carolina. And I was listening to him a few weeks ago, and this is what he said about sexuality. It's a great quote. 
He says, God wants everyone to have an unbelievable, guilt-free sex life. But sexual satisfaction will only come as we seek God's direction. That's the only way that it will ever happen. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I believe that the Bible tells us that there are three primary reasons that God created sex and created us male and female and created sexuality. The first reason is procreation, all right? Babies. Like, you know where babies come from, right? Everyone got that? Like, and, and maybe your parents, maybe you either learned it in junior high or maybe like your parents told you about it. My parents really didn't do a good job of telling me about that. My mom put a book about puberty in my room on the nightstand. And I was like, what is this? I was, tw I was 12 years old. I'm like, what is this? And then like a month later, she's like, uh, did you happen to read that book? I'm like, no, I didn't read that book. Like, why do I want to read a book about puberty? So uh, anyway, uh, I didn't really have that conversation with my parents, but God did create sex for procreation. That is why we have a nursery here at Exodus. Um, in fact, we are doing very well with procreation here at Exodus. If you don't believe me, wait five minutes after the service, and there'll be about 58 preschool kids up here running around, throwing balls, and having a blast. And so, uh, but God created sex. One of the primary reasons is for procreation. The second reason, enjoyment. I don't know if you can say that in church, but I just said that in, in church, that God created sex to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife. It's a gift that God made. It's, it's a beautiful thing. For far too long, the, the world has celebrated the enjoyment of sex without talking about the context in which God has created it for, and the church has talked about the context in which God has created it for, but they don't talk about the enjoyment of it. It kind of seems backwards. But God did create sex for enjoyment. Now, we'll talk about a little bit more about that later. The third reason God created sex is intimacy. And, that, and that's a word that sometimes we don't always understand, but intimacy is a deep relational connection between a husband and a wife. And intimacy is not just sex, but sex is a part of intimacy, if, if that makes sense, if, if you're following me. And because of that, the world sometimes is robbing itself of the way God intended sex because they're taking out this, this idea of intimacy. That sex is not just about procreation, it's not just about enjoyment, but it's also about intimacy between two people. So today, or tomorrow, if anyone asks you if you learned anything at church this week, or you can tell them, yes, I learned that sex is uh, for procreation, it's for enjoyment, and it's for intimacy. And then just listen as like nothing is said, and you'll just hear crickets, and uh, it'll be really, really awkward. But let me share with you three statements about sexuality, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit more about some questions that people commonly ask. First statement, sex is more than physical. The, the world says that sex is just physical. It's all about two people, it's all about chemistry, but God's word tells us that sex is more than just a physical act. And, and that's where um, many times people find themselves in situations where they feel guilty or there's hurt or there's disappointment is because sexuality is more than just physical. I want to flip over to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. I want you to listen to this verse. It's in God's word. This is sh shortly after God created the universe. He made male and female, Adam and Eve, and this is what he says. 
This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now, if you notice in those verses, there's the word, or that verse, there's the word joined, there's the word united, and there's the word one. Because sex is more than just something that's physical. There's, there's a spiritual thing, there's a connection, there's an intimacy, there's a bond that happens between two people. So here's how I'm going to show you this analogy. Jack, could you come up here and help me? I want to introduce you to my friend Jack. Some of you know Jack. Now, I'm in a college Bible study on Sunday nights with Jack. Jack doesn't ever really say a whole lot. He just smiles the whole time, okay? So that's what I figured he would do today, is he would just sit up there and just smile the whole time. All right. All right. I'm going to take this piece of tape, Jack, and I just need you to hold it kind of with the sticky side out, okay? So I need another hint. And I'm going to take another one. So these... these uh, pieces of tape represent two people, okay, and, and hold it out like this with your sticky side together, and we're going to take this tape, and we're going to press it together, okay? Now get your minds out of the gutter. I know what you're thinking, all right? So, okay, we're going to take it, and then uh, make sure that it's really, really good. Wor you work on that part down there. Make sure it's good and solid, okay, that it's all together. So, in some ways, this tape represents God saying, this is what happens when two people come together. They uh, are committed to each other. They have sexual relations with one another. They become like this piece of tape. Now, this piece of tape now is stronger than it was before, right? There's a lot of good qualities about this tape because uh, it's double-ply, it's stronger, there's a lot more about it. But the problem becomes... If at this point we want to separate the tape back into two pieces of tape again, all right? So can, can you help me do that, Jack? Can we take these two pieces of tape and get them apart? You doing all right down there? It's, uh, it's not working real well? Okay. Kind of hard. Let's keep trying there. Okay, so I think we all see that this is pretty difficult to do, isn't it? All right. Thank you for your help, Jack. You can give me. You can give me your tape too. So you don't have to stick it. All right. Thanks. It's kind of an analogy of when two people experience sex together, they make a bond, and our world says, "Well, it's just." you know, a one-night stand. It's just this thing we did. We just kind of move on and find someone else and do it again. But, but God's word says it's really different than that. It's really different. And, and there's a bond that happens. And if you don't see it that way and you experience it in a different way, you're robbing yourself of the way that God created it. Because it's a spiritual bond that's designed for two people that God created to not be ripped apart. It just doesn't work that way. It just, it's, it's different than that. Now, the second statement about sexuality, your past becomes your present in the future. So if you think about that tape, a lot of people try to, two pieces of tape, pull them apart, two pieces of tape, pull them apart, two pieces of tape, pull them apart, two pieces of tape, pull them apart. And then they find this person, they're like, okay, well, yeah, now this is the person that God has led me to. And, and you tend to think like, it's gonna be this, clean piece of tape now. And the reality is it doesn't really work that way. 
And I know so many couples, people that have gotten married and have had issues that they've run into and struggles because of decisions that they made or experiences with sex that they had before they got married that they wish they could have changed or fixed, but your past will become the present in the future. It's just not quite that simple. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and this is why we find this verse, chapter 18, Paul says, run from sexual sin. And then he talks about sexual sin in a way that he doesn't talk about other sins. Listen to this. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. You're you're not just hurting other people. You're, You're hurting yourself. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and has given you given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Your past will become your present in the future. That's why God has designed sexuality the way that He has designed it, and He says that it's more than just physical. Third statement about sexuality: sex is a gift designed to be exclusive and within marriage. Now, that's the way God designed it. He's the one who created it. He's the one who created you, me, male, female, the world. He's the creator of life, and he says, this is the way I designed it. I designed it for procreation, for enjoyment, for intimacy between a man and a woman who are in a committed marriage to one another. Because God doesn't set it up that way just so that, like, he'll ruin all, our, ruin all of our fun. I mean, he created it that way to protect us. He created it that way so it could be enjoyed and experienced. Now, I want to read to you a couple of uh, verses that are out of the Bible, and uh, maybe verses that you've not heard before, and maybe verses are a book of the Bible that you've not heard before. But in the Old Testament, there's a book called the Song of Solomon, which is a book written by Solomon to his wife and about their relationship with one another. And so these are reasons that you need to read your Bible. There are things that are in your Bible that you never knew that were in your Bible, okay? So this is a man writing this letter to his wife. Listen to what it says in Song of Solomon chapter 4, verses 5 and 7. Your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns, of a gazelle grazing among the lilies. Before the dawn breezes blow and the night shadows flee, I will hurry to the mountain of myrrh and to the king and to the hill of frankincense. You are altogether beautiful, my darling, beautiful in every way. So obviously this is very poetic. It goes on in verse 11. Your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon, which I don't know what that smells like. Um, they, don't, they don't make a deodorant that, that, that smell yet, but um, it, it's probably good though. Okay, verse 12. You are my private garden my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Your thighs shelter a paradise of pomegranates with rare spices. Verse 16, awake north wind, rise up south wind, blow on my garden and spread its fragrance all around and come into your garden, my love, taste its finest fruits. Now, that's pretty explicit in the way that that's written. But it's for a husband and a wife, it's within a marriage, and God designed it that way. And it's sexuality that, that can be enjoyed the way that God had designed it. Because sex is like a fire. 
Okay, and if you think about a fire, there's a lot of great qualities that come with fire. We use fire and and rely on fire in all sorts of ways. And in the wintertime, when you make a fire in a fireplace, or you turn on your stove, or we use fire to uh, heat up the hot water heater, or maybe uh, the furnace of your house, it's, it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. But we also know that fire also has a very destructive power to it, doesn't it? And, and when it's that destructive side that causes us to... to things to get burned, people to get burned, things to be destroyed. And so sex is very much like that. And God created it to be beautiful. And when it's done his way and when it's handled in his way and, and when it's used in the way that he created it, it's a very beautiful thing. You will never find an example in God's word where sex outside of marriage is encouraged, accepted, or promoted. Now let me say that again. You will never find an example in the Bible where sex outside of marriage is either encouraged or accepted or promoted. It's just not there. Now the world will tell you differently, but God's word tells us pretty plain and clear that that's the way that sex was to be created and to be experienced. All right, some common questions. These are questions that I I hear or that people ask, and I want to just throw them out there, and then we're going to I'm going to give you the answer or kind of tell you what um, I think God's word says about that. Here's the first one. What is the problem with friends with benefits? All right? Everyone knows what friends with benefits is, right? Like, I don't know if that word even, or that term even existed like 10 years ago, but we all kind of know what it, it means now. So what's the problem with that? Why is that an issue? Let me tell you why. It's a fallacy, all right? It doesn't really exist in the way that we kind of try to make it think that it exists. Because friends with benefits is like unicorns. It's like mermaids. It's like gold, a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, okay? Those are all great things that we talk about. Uh, And we all know what a mermaid is. And we all know what a unicorn looks like. And we all know that there's supposed to be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. The problem is, it's just not real, right? It's just this made-up thing that we talk about, but it's really not the way that things work. Friends with benefits is the very same way. And why is it a fallacy? Because in all of my experience, someone always gets hurt in friends with benefits. Someone always gets hurt. Even when both sides say, no, I understand. No, there's no rules. I, I know what's going on. It just doesn't work that way because sex is more than just a physical act. It's emotional. We're connected. There's a bond between the two people. Now, I was having lunch this week with Trevor and Vanessa Babcock. Trevor's back there. He's already raising his hand back there. Yeah. And we were talking about this sermon. I just said, hey, let me bounce some things off of you. And then Trevor throws out this amazing statement. And I was like, wow, that is really good, Trevor. I'm going to use that on Sunday. So I'm going to give him all the credit for it. Or if you don't like it, then you can email Trevor. Okay. Trevor, we were talking about this very issue, friends with benefits. Trevor says, you cannot separate your heart from your genitals? And why would you want to? I was like, I thought about that for a second, which I I don't even like how all kinds of weird things are going through my mind at that point when I'm thinking about that. But I'm like, you know, you're right. You, You can't. I mean, the world tries, but the reality is you can't because God didn't create us that way. And then why would you want to do that? Why would you want to experience this part of sexuality that is not 
fully intended the way God wanted it to be. And you know, ultimately, it's like fire and some point you're going to get burned or someone is going to get burned. I think friends with benefits is addressed in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. This is what we read there. God's will is for you to be holy, which means to be separated, which means to be different from, from what you see go on in the world. So stay away from all sexual sin. Sexual sin can be defined in sex any other way than God has intended it to be. Verse 4, then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Yes, your, your friends, your non-Christian friends, maybe even some of your Christian friends, yes, they are out and they're having sex, but they don't understand, they, they don't understand that God has created it to be different. And if you're a follower who's been redeemed by Jesus, that God has created you to experience it in all its fullness in the way that God has intended it to be. So friends with benefits is a lie. It doesn't really exist because sex is more than just two people messing around. Now, let me give it to you a different way, show you a different way. I've never met anyone that's been married that has ever told me this statement. Our marriage, my marriage would be much better if I would have had more sex with more people before we got married. No one has ever made that statement to me. Not, not even remotely close. No one has ever wished that or thought that, but there's so many people that I've talked with that have struggled and had issues, one or both, because of their past becoming the present in the future and wishing that they had done, had done it another way. Okay, so that's friends with benefits. Second question. What's the problem with having sex with someone that I'm seriously dated and committed to? Because, right, you're seriously dating them, you're committed, we, we might even use the word monogamous, both of you understand that, what's the problem with that? Well, first of all, it's not allowing God and what's best for your life, okay? Be because you're saying, well, God, I know you said that, but, you know, I, I'm kind of a little smarter than you, and I know a better way to do that. So it's kind of like our life is like a road, and God has put up these guardrails for us, not to keep us from having fun, to protect us, and when we choose to not do things God's way, we're like going out beyond the guardrails and off into the trees down the mountain, and you see the, the car tumbling, and it hits the bottom, and a big mushroom cloud of fire comes out. Now, that's a little, I'm exaggerating there, but you understand that, that God has created us to experience sex in a different way within the context of marriage. Secondly, most couples have a different definition of what committed means, and I find this all the time with guys and girls. So the girl says, now we're committed, right? Yeah, 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 we're committed. Yeah, we're really, really committed, right? Of course, yeah, like why would I say we're not committed if I didn't mean we're really committed. But in reality, those are like different types of commitments. Usually the commitment in that type of relationship is not like for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, to death do us part. It's more of a convenient commitment. And ladies, let me let you in on a little secret, okay? Many guys will tell you whatever you want to hear if it means that they can have sex. If I'm lying, I'm dying, okay? And guys, am I right? Are there any other guys in here that would say, yeah? And the guys are like, don't get me into this. Man, I have nothing. I am not saying anything. L ladies, guys will say things so that they 
can have sex with you. And you say, well, that's a lie. I, I understand. That's really complicated, and we, we, we don't have time to get into that. But here's what I'm saying. People say, well, we're committed to each other. Uh, I, I've seen a lot of times where that commitment ends up not really being committed, and then someone really gets hurt in the end. We read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Now, what was the recommended daily allowance for sexual immorality, impurity, and greed? Zero. It says, don't let there be a, a hint of it. Such sins have no place among God's people. So God's best for you is to wait to experience sex in the beautiful way that he created it to be within marriage. And I know that that's not always easy, and that always may not seem practical, and it sometimes appears to be very old-fashioned, but that's what God's word teaches us, and we need to trust that he knows what is best. All right, let's go to uh, next question. What's the problem with living together? I hear, well, Dan, you know, what I, but we are committed, and uh, we live together, and uh, it, it just works better. It's an economic decision for us. You know, it's just a lot simpler because we spend so much time with each other, and for him to have a place and me to have a place, it's just really pricey, and it just seems to make a lot more sense. Well, here's my question back to you. Why are you not following God's plan, and why are you putting yourself, like, right in the crosshairs of temptation? Why, why are you doing that? Is that smart? Is that wise? Do you have a, a vast amount of self-control that's beyond what mere mortals have? And you go, well, we do, we'll sleep in separate bedrooms. And I, I know I hear all those arguments, but let me share you with the, some statistics about cohabitation, all right? These are not even Christian biblical statistics. These are just quick search on Google, and here's what you'll find, all right? Uh, here we go. Cohabitating relationships are less stable than marriages. Living together is more stressful than being married. Over 50% of first cohabitating couples ever get married. Couples who live together are at a greater risk for divorce than non-cohabitating couples. Couples who live together before marriage tend to divorce earlier in marriage. Stats are from the National Institute of Child Health and Human Development. My point back to you would be, why do you want to go against those odds? Why do you want to be so arrogant that you think somehow that you're going to be the exception to the rule? Which I find a lot of times with couples who are in love and love is blind, we often think, well, we're the exception. Well, we're the exception. Let me clue you in. Everyone thinks they're the exception, all right? That's just what everyone thinks, that they're different, their love is better, but it doesn't work that way. And as your pastor, I love you too much just to not tell you the truth, to not tell you the truth. So don't be arrogant. You think you're going to beat the odds. You, you think that your relationship is different, and it's just not going to be that way. All right. Now, as we've talked about all of these things, I realize the reality is um, some of you are thinking, some of you are thinking different things. Some of you are thinking, uh, I wish I didn't come to church today. Uh, others of you are thinking uh, that Dan Hendricks, what does he know? He doesn't really know what he's talking about. And then some of you are thinking, you know what? I think there's truth in what you're saying, Dan, but I've already messed up in this arena. So like, where does that leave me? Because 
I, I think God is right. I think that's right, that that's the way that God intended sexuality, but I've already exp- experienced it in a different way, so where does that leave me? And, and if you're here today, I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that you have those feelings. First of all, I would say this, that my prayer this week has been that God would convict people, anyone, all of us, that his word is true about this issue. And then secondly, that if there are people that have already crossed over lines, that they would understand the redemption, the forgiveness, and the mercy that God wants to offer. Because with all my heart, I believe that that's true. That God offers forgiveness to anyone who has messed up, anyone who's gone over the line, anyone who wishes things could be different, there is forgiveness. Now, let me tell you how you need to deal with that because it's, it's kind of two-phased and many times people do phase one and not phase two. If you find yourself there, you need to know this. You need to deal with your mistakes on a spiritual level, all right? And you need to know that you can receive forgiveness. We read in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The old is gone and the new life has become. So because Jesus died on the cross, because he rose from the dead, there is mercy and there's forgiveness that anyone can know when we come to God and confess and basically say, God, I've screwed this up. I need your redemption. I need to trust the blood of Jesus to cover over my mistakes. We read in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just and will cleanse us of our sins and forgive us of all unrighteousness. So that's the spiritual level. You can do that by yourself. You can talk to someone who can help you do that. But, but, but that's, that's there and it's open to all of us. That's the spiritual level. Now, the second thing I want to challenge you to do is deal with it on a practical level. Because a lot of times I find that's where people d- don't deal with things. Because there's something in the way that you're wired that has led you to possibly make the same mistake over and over and over and over and over and over. And you know, who you, you know your habits, you know your person, you know the way that you're wired. But we need to deal with this on a practical level. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, well, a passage we read earlier, and it said, run from sexual sin. Now that little Greek word, the word run there, when it's translated back into the original language, it means to run, okay? It's not real hard to understand. Run, get out of Dodge, get as far away from it as you can because no other sin clearly affects the body as this one does. So you need to change something in your life You need to place boundaries that have caused you to make mistakes in the past. And you need to do that so that you can understand and you can experience this redemption that God is having, but giving you, but it's not going to be the same thing over and over and over and over. It's not like, I'm sorry, God, I messed up. I'm sorry, God, I messed up. I'm sorry, God, I messed up. And it goes over and over and over and nothing really changes. So let me be brutally honest. I don't know how this message applies to each person. You have to figure that out. But I would ask you, to be honest and ask yourself or ask God, God, what is it that needs to change differently about me? And here's some things that I think are possible answers. For some of you, God may be saying, you need to break off the relationship that you have with that one person in your life because you know that it's not leading you to something healthy. You need to break it off. For some of you, it may mean you need to break it off and not text and not see them and not talk to them on the phone for some extended period of time because you know that if you say we're going to break up, but we keep texting and talking, that eventually it's going to lead back to the very same thing. For some others in you, for some others in this room, maybe the application is you need to move out. 
you need to not be living in the same house anymore. Maybe for some of you, the application is you need to not date anyone for a year. And you're like, well, that's crazy. I don't think that's crazy. I know people that have done that, and many of them have said it's been the best thing that they've ever done. If there's a pattern in your life of keeping going and making the same mistake in sexuality over and over and over again, God can give you redemption, but you're probably not going to be able to flip a switch and then tomorrow approach it totally differently. You need to take some time, create some space, allow God to redeem some things in your life and the way that you think and some of the habits that you have. Maybe the application for some of you in this room is that you need to get married. Because maybe you, you are with a person, you've been in a relationship, and there's a lot of things about marriage other than there's just not a ring on her finger. And maybe for some of you, that's the application that you just need to do. But I want you to ask God, is there anything that you would have me do differently, God? And I pray that you have the courage that whatever he tells you to do, that you'd be strong enough and brave enough to do it. And you know, you know, and I know, he's not going to ask you to do anything that's not ultimately for your own good. That's what you have to believe and trust. So we serve a God who redeems. We serve a God who restores. We serve a God who makes things new. So my prayer for you is that we would celebrate that. We would embrace it. And when it comes to sexuality, that we would see that God designed it. He knows what's best. And when we experience it in that way, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Let me pray for you. Lord, I've tried to be just a, uh, as honest as I can about what we've talked about today. And uh, I pray that you would work now, your Holy Spirit would work on each person and, and take what we've covered. And uh, really, we would be honest with ourselves and open enough to ask you, uh, what is it that you want me to um, pull from these passages, from this topic? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do differently? Father, I pray for the, the person here that feels like there's, there's a certain level of guilt. Um, I, I don't want it to be guilt for them. I want it to be conviction. And I want you to help them to know that you love them so much. In fact, it's because that you love them that they feel convicted. And um, Father, that uh, your arms are open wide and full of mercy. And may we all experience that. Father, I, I just uh, help us to just be people that experience being male and being female and the sexuality between us. Help us to experience it in the way that you have outlined in your Bible and to trust that you are a God who knows what's best and wants what's best from us and that we can trust and walk in that. And that is my prayer in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to take communion together uh, here.